0: I want you to find two places in your Bibles today. I want you to find Romans chapter 4, where we will start, and then go over and find 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we'll finish. We're on this series uh, about generosity, and I was asked a couple times even this morning, are you talking about money again? And I assure you the intent of the series is not about money. Uh, God's not afraid to talk about money. We need to be aware of that. God's not afraid to talk about uh, what we value and what we do with God's gifts to us. And I think that the very term and the topic of generosity is often undertaught in our churches today. Pastors get nervous when they start to talk talk about money. And people get nervous when the pastor talks, talks, talks about money. Um, and if I can talk today, I will do very well at all, but, um, here's what I believe about generosity. When you and I learn how to practice it. And again, don't think money necessarily. Think, think the, the fullness of your life, everything that God has given you. How can you be generous with it? time, talent and treasure? They say, when we start to practice generosity in this way, it grants a joy to the Christ follower that we don't get any other way. When you and I give, it produces within us that which can't come from stuff. My mom used to tell me, happiness comes from things, joy comes from the Lord. We know a lot of people that have lots of things, right? But not not joy. But when you start to experience the joy of the Lord and you start to give back to Him because of understanding what He's given you, There's a joy that is unspeakable, as Scripture would say. So we talk about today, well, I'll back it up. Last week was the generosity of God. Today, I want to take us just to a different uh, aspect of that and talk about the generosity of grace. I want us to get a perspective and a handle on grace. R.C. Sproul, a great theologian who passed away just a few years ago, said the essence of of theology, and understand theology is just the study of God, okay? The essence of theology is grace. And the essence of Christianity is gratitude. That's worth writing down. The essence, and let's put it in, in a simpler term maybe, the essence of why we study God is to know grace. And the essence or the reality of us really being a Christ follower is to be marked by gratitude. So I think we would do well today to remember this grace-gratitude dynamic and the way it interacts with our life. So that's where we draw our attention today. I think the more that you and I will understand how kind God has been, how gracious He has been, the more we will be overcome with mercy. I go back to the lyrics of the song. I didn't know you were singing that this morning, but thank you all so much. My sins are many, but his mercy is more. And the more you recognize what he has done, what he has covered, who he has declared us to be, I'll guarantee you this, you will have a different response of love and a different response of service. Now, can I preach here for just a second? Someone tell me, go ahead. I like it. I like it. I'm learning in West Virginia. I don't even have to ask that. I can just go for it. If you catch yourself, if I catch myself being stingy in any way, Maybe with my time. I really don't want to serve at the church. I just want to come and attend, fill in the little blanks, and head out the doors. So you get stingy in your service. You get stingy in using the God-given talents that God's given you. Every one of you that are Christ followers today have a spiritual gift. And the opportunity to use that gift for His glory and for your good and others' good. And some of you, God is blessed with resources. And if you'll just loosen that up a little bit. But here's what I believe about this today. When you and I get stingy about these things, if we look on the inside of it, it's because we have a lack or a wrong perspective on grace. We just aren't really coming to grips with who we are and what God has done for us. We're we're winding up excusing our sin, justifying our behavior and thinking God doesn't really think what I'm doing, the way I'm behaving, my lack of obedience is really all that bad. But when you and I come before the fullness of God's grace and realize what he has poured out on our behalf, then you and I start to be filled with a joy that nothing else can take because what he has done, nobody can undo. And the other great thing about it is what He has done, He has given to us freely. Now, I don't ever do this, but... Okay, it's not. (laughs) I'm I'm in papa mode right now, all right? But my pocket was ringing, so excuse me. Let's get a definition of grace going here this morning that will help us. I'm going to give you two definitions. One is short, but this one I think is helpful. It's an inexhaustible favor or goodness of God and what He does for us that we can't do for ourselves. It's what we don't deserve and it's what we cannot earn and it's what we could never repay. Let me give you a shorter version that's maybe easier to remember. God is the unmerited, or grace is the unmerited favor of God. You can write that down. Grace is the unmerited, the unearned favor of God. You know Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you've got your Bibles and you're, you're sitting there with me, go over to Romans chapter 4. We just studied this this past weekend in our Connect group. These verses highlighted uh, to me what I think is the essence of what we're trying to communicate today. Start in verse 3 of Romans chapter 4. It says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him for righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. You understand that, right? When you go to work this week and you get a paycheck this week, your employer is not being gracious to you. Some of you go, I got, the, I got that Right? He is paying you what you have earned. You are getting a merited payment for your behavior. That's what Paul's talking about here. But go to verse 5. But the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for his righteousness. Did you catch that? For the one that doesn't try to earn his salvation, but rest in faith on Christ alone for his salvation... To that person, it's credited as righteousness. In verse 6, likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven. Anybody got a witness in the room? It's you and I. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And blessed is the person The Lord will never charge with sin. Underline that last verse. Blessed is the person that the Lord will never charge with sin. Am I a sinner? Oh, honey, you have no idea. You have no idea the struggles that I have. And yet because of my faith and trust in Christ, the work that He has done, nothing that I have done, everything that He has done, He has declared me righteous, right standing before God. And that's for all of us that name the the name of Christ. So the big idea that you want to draw out of Romans 4, this passage we're looking at, this idea of, of the generosity of grace is we don't merit anything when it comes to grace There's nothing we can do that would merit that. There's nothing that we can do that would earn God's grace. But it's by His merits, it's by what He has done that we receive grace. So our big idea today is we own nothing and we need everything. I want you to look at whatever you have in your life, in your your bank accounts, in your work, in your health, whatever it is that you are valuing this morning, I want you to understand that you own none of it. We're, We're talking about this next week. We're only stewards. We're not owners. So what we have today, the breath in our lungs, we don't own. But anybody need breath in your lungs today? I assure you, you do. I assure you, you do as much as you and I need God's unmerited grace to cover the sins that are many, where his mercy becomes more. So let's try to move through this. Our big idea of the entire series is simply this, that when you and I understand God's faithful generosity to us, it activates a faith-filled generosity from us. When we understand what God has done for us, it will motivate us to do for others. What flows into us will flow out into other people. So I want you to run over to to 2 Corinthians. You just have to turn left a couple books. You'll run into him. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to look at nine verses there. Some of you are going, we've already been here a while, and you're going to try to get through nine verses. Yes, because it's time change, and Miss Betty said we got an extra hour, which means I get to preach an extra hour. That's what she said. So, take it up with her, not me. All right? Because I'm learning real quick that what Miss Betty says, I pay attention to. <laughs> Let's read these verses. When you want, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, and there it is, isn't it? About the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, during a severe trial, brought... About by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Can we just pause right there? We can come back and unpack this in a minute. But do you see everything that's in that verse? We want you to know about what first? The grace of God. Why would he want you to know about the grace of God? Because they just have gone through severe trial with great affliction and extreme poverty. But all of those things never overwhelmed or overshadowed their ability to be generous. Continue in verse three. Paul says, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. When's the last time you have just begged someone to give? Not to give to you, but you to give to them. When's the last time you've begged Someone for you, for you to have the opportunity to be generous. That's what this verse is talking about. Verse five says it was not just, not just as a, in the ministry to the saints. No, just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord, circle that first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should be complete among you. This great act of grace. Verse seven Now, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. Now, I'm not saying this as a command, rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. Amazing passage of scripture, isn't it? When you look at verses 1 through 7, it's really interesting the language that Paul uses. In 1 through 7, Paul uses language that links God's grace to money. Then when he flips it, when you get to verse 8 9, he uses money language to talk about God's grace. I want you to go back and study that. Verses 1 through 7, Paul's talking money language to highlight God's grace. In verses 8 and 9, he talks grace to highlight the giving, to make use of the gospel. So I'll give you a couple things, four or five things, I think, out of this passage that will be helpful to us today to understand the impact of God's grace. Let me just say this again. Church, I fear many of us have been going to church for so long. We have maybe read this book so often in just a rote kind of way that we have become familiar with grace. And oftentimes familiarity, you know the old saying, breeds contempt. Just an apathy for it. My mom used to tell us so many times growing up that there's a reason why grace is amazing. Just stop and think about this for a moment. And what I, what I want to do today is not act as though you've never heard a message on grace before. You've never understood these principles before. Because we're just learning together here. But that you and I as part of this body would just come back into a full awareness of the Lord today. And go, would you just let the weight and the glory of your grace fall fresh on me today? Is that a good prayer this morning? Let grace fall fresh today. Why? So we give more? No, I think that'll be a byproduct. So we love better. So we love better. We keep this relationship correct. So a couple of things that may help us this morning. When you look at verses one through three, I think you'll see today that the grace of God produces joy over circumstances. Now, if you've got your Bibles, your handouts, or what I've said to you before, if you don't mark in your Bibles, get your neighbor's and mark in theirs, okay? I really don't care, but mark something down. It says, we, verse 1, we want you to know. Circle the word know. We want you to know something. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. He's writing to you and I today. And he says, what you are reading is important, and we want you to know it. To have a a knowledge of it, not just a cursory knowledge, but it's going to be a knowledge that transforms us. So I've circled the word know in my Bible, but what does he want us to know? It's one thing to say, I want you to know something, but what is it? And if you'll look over, it says, I want you to know brothers and sisters about the grace of God, circle, highlight, underline that. I want you to know about the grace of God that has shown up and we could unpack that, that phrase for weeks on end. As to what the grace of God looks like and how it's shown up and, and how we recognize it and what we do to appreciate it. He says here, I want you to know about the grace of God that showed up to the churches of Macedonia. Now stop right there and get some context with me. Paul's writing to Gentile churches about giving back to the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, the church in Jerusalem had come under really hard times. These were poverty-stricken Christians now. They're under great persecution back in Jerusalem, back where it all began. And now the Gentile churches are taking up an offering because they they are sympathetic... And they are moved by the, the grief and the hurt and the poverty of the Jerusalem church. So without any real prompting, these Macedonia churches have started to take up an offering to send back to the Jerusalem church. Sounds pretty cool to me, doesn't it? I mean, I think, I think that's a really amazing thing in the body of Christ, how we move and we work together. And we recognize the need and we have the opportunity to meet it. But how did they recognize the need? Because they recognized their need first. When they recognized their need, they recognized the grace of God that He poured out on them to meet their need. And it wasn't so much physical, it wasn't financial, it was spiritual. And that'll be the greatest need that you ever have met in your life. To have your sins forgiven. He goes on and he says in verse 2, During a severe trial that was brought by, by affliction understand trial and affliction. These are hard days. Does anybody in the room have any experience with trial and affliction? You know what it means to be hurt deeply? To grieve continually? To be wounded by those that you thought were close to you? To suffer health and financial setbacks that just don't seem to have any end? Look what he is saying here. I want you to know about the grace of God that even during a severe trial with great affliction, notice what it says, there had abundant joy. When's the last time you've been able to walk through greatest difficulty in life and I'm not saying paint a happy smile on your face and act like everything's good. I've learned some, at some point in ministry, there are certain people that I can ask how your day's doing, right? You, you know what I'm about to say, don't you? I can ask some of you how your day's going, and you're going to lie bold face to me and go, fine. When you're crumbling in a pile, but you're going to stuff it, you're going to guard it, you're going to protect it, you're not going to let anybody in, and you're going to suffer in isolation. Here's what else I've learned. Some of you, if I ask how you're doing, you're going to tell me. All of it. For hours on end. I can't get away. And you go, so pastor, are you avoiding those people? Let's go to the next point. (laughs) I'm asking the Lord to give us grace, to weep when others weep, to laugh when others laugh, and to celebrate when others celebrate. Is that true? Folks, we're, we're the body of Christ here. And I'm not asking us to act like all is happy and all is good because sometimes there's trouble, there's trial, and there's affliction, right? But I tell you, by the grace of God, there's always joy. How is there joy in troubles, trial, and affliction? Because these things are temporary. But salvation is eternal. So when we get our mind off of the temporal and back to the eternal, you can always have joy. Does that make sense to you? I love this next part. It says they they had extreme poverty. I think the Greek translation of that is didn't have two nickels to rub together. Extreme poverty, and yet it overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part I've talked to people all of my ministry said "Lord, I, you know pastor I would love to give something but I, I just don't have anything to give do you have a kind word do you have a generous act do you have the widow's two mites folks there is joy in circumstances because there's grace that's greater than anything we're facing. Making sense? Give you number two. The grace of God moves you and I, or it should, to a total surrender of our life. I want you to look back at at verses four and five. I just find this so amazing. There's three little phrases right here at the front. You can underline these as we go. The first phrase is, they begged us earnestly. They begged us earnestly. Underline that. What did they beg for? Number two, the privilege of sharing. What did they want to share in? Number three, ministry to the saints. You remember a couple weeks ago when I asked if we could get some greeters at the, at the back door just to help pass out worship guides and hug people and say hello to people and be nice to people. Remember all of that? When are you going to do it? Well, you know, being, some of you are going, well, being nice isn't my thing. But we got another issue, don't we? Are you telling me in this church we don't have people that don't have 15 minutes to come early and greet and pass out worship guides and encourage one another? I hope brother Dave is overwhelmed at the welcome center. Would you go out of here today and some of you sign up and go I'll be here. I'm not asking you to be here every week, but I'm going to ask you to take your time and surrender to the Lord and go I'm willing to give. Brother Brian is helping us get missions put together. He's doing work around this property. Some of you can dig fence holes and put new signs up around here. It's an act of service. But when we get stingy with time, talent, and treasure, we will never be surrendered to the Lord. And I I feel like I do this all the time, but I want you to just open up your hands again. Go, Lord, whatever it is that you have given me, I offer back to you. We live totally surrendered. Paul goes on in verse 5. He says, These folks are giving and not just like we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. And my Danville friends will recognize this statement because I've said it so many times. When you get Jesus right, you get everything else right. Get Jesus in the first priority. And when He is first generosity will naturally flow because grace is overwhelmed. Number three, we find in this passage, the grace of God tests the genuineness, the authenticity of our love. The very first word says now, circle that now in present tense, now as you excel in everything, now that you know the grace of God, that's what he has said. Now that you are giving out of your extreme poverty, now that you are, are making Christ first in your life, now that you got Jesus right, you're going to get everything else right. What's the everything else? It's faith, it's speech, it's knowledge, and it's diligence. This is what we're called to be exceptional in. That's what the word excel means, to be exceptional in a, and proficient in a subject or an activity. What does it mean to excel in your faith, in your speech, in your knowledge, and in your diligence? And then he goes on, he tacks the last one on, doesn't he? And in your love for us or love for one another, he highlights it, excel in this act of grace. So here's what I want you to see. Faith, speech, knowledge, diligence and love are all an act of God's grace in our life. If we don't understand the grace of God in, the, in our life, you will never grow in your faith. Your speech will never become really God-honoring. You may be moral, but it's not going to be God-honoring. You're not going to grow in the knowledge of who He is and what He's done for you. You're going to lack diligence in pursuing these spiritual formation in your life, and love will always be based on On how people love you, not loving them first. Just mark it down. You go, How do you know that? I'm example number one. I know this of personal experience. It says that he wants you to excel in this act of grace, which is talking about that of generosity. But here's what I love that Paul gets right in verse eight he tells us, I'm not saying this to you as a command. That's kind of a hard sell, isn't it? Can you imagine me walking up to Chris Kinney and shaking him and going, I demand you to be generous. That's kind of like telling my wife, I demand you to say I love you. Generosity, love flows out of the heart. Out of the heart man speaks. Paul's not going to command anybody to be generous, but he says that when you get Jesus right, you'll get this part right as well, and it will change. Generosity will change your faith, your speech, your knowledge, your diligence, and your love for Christ. He says, I'm not commanding it to you, but by the means of your diligence of others, your care for others. Look what he says at the end of verse 8. I am testing your act." of love the genuineness of your love so just go back and look at the metrics go back and do an evaluation am i really faithful as my speech god honoring am i growing to look more like him am i being diligent in spiritual habits and as my is the love that christ has put in me is it flowing out to others you remember that verse don't you Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The second will be like it. You will love others as yourself. Am I getting this right? And if you are, there's an authenticity of your love for Him. But where there's weaknesses, God says, this is where I want to help you to look more like me. Isn't it good that God doesn't condemn us on this? He strengthens us with this. And the last point I make to you today is, the grace of God enables you and I to be generous. Can I just be honest? You don't want me to be anything less. And I haven't been less than that to you. But probably, not probably, probably, most assuredly, without the grace of God in my life, without the work of God in my life, with the knowledge of what He has done for me and that I could not earn it myself, if I had just been left to the wickedness of my old dark heart, I would be pretty tight-fisted and stingy with my time, my talent, and my treasure because I know me. And I'm not everything I need to be, but as the old song says, I think, thank God I'm not who I used to be, right? Look at verse 9. For you know, circle the word know, now you have experience. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That ties you right back to verse 1. We want you to know about the grace of God. He's unpacked it for seven verses. And in verse 9 he goes, well, now you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that look like? What does the grace of Christ look like? Though He was rich for your sake, for my sake, He became poor. You can write by this passage Philippians chapter 2. One of the greatest passages of all of scripture, where Christ left the glory of heaven to take on humanity, not laying down his divinity to suffer on a cross, to pay for your sins and mine. He became poor. Why did he become poor? Circle those two words. So that, so that by his, not mine, not by our mef- efforts, not by our merits, by his poverty, we become rich. Not what we have done, but what He has done. Does that make sense to you this morning? Now, what I hope is it's not just theory. I hope it's not just a, yeah, I get it, but what difference does it make? Jesus was teaching in Sermon on the Mount over in Matthew chapter 5, and you'll remember this verse. He says in chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know that verse? Why does he say blessed are the poor in spirit? The poor in spirit aren't the mopey ones. They're not the Eeyores of our world. I'm so happy. It's a terrible, horrible, no good, rotten day, right? It's not what he's talking about. He's not asking us to to walk around downcast. Matter of fact, he says over in Psalm chapter 42, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. Put, put a smile on your face. He says here, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit simply means those of us that own nothing and need everything. Do you see that? What do you own here today? Say it with me. Nothing. What do you own? Nothing. Oh, that's weak. What do you own? Nothing. What do you need? Everything. And God says, I got that. Because He gives out of His great riches out of His sufficiency, and out of His supremacy. And it's when you and I understand that we own nothing and we need everything, that He's the one that's provided and all it says for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's when you inherit eternal life. That's where grace becomes at work at your life and not works. Brother Bill, on the back, I was reading a message this week by your former pastor, Adrian Rogers. One of the greatest preachers I believe has ever lived. He makes this statement about Matthew 5, verse 3. He says, This discovery comes when we see just who God is and when we understand who we are. And until a man lays his pride in the dust, he cannot be saved. Now listen to this statement. Even God cannot fill that which is already full. Even God cannot fill that which is already full. And we will never live spiritually until we admit that we are dead spiritually. Write that sentence down on the bottom of your handout. Even God cannot fill that which is already full. What do you think he means by that? Folks, we are full of self. We are full of sufficiency. We are full of pride. We are full of so many things. Do you agree? And Christ says, why are you trying to earn this? We can't be good enough. We've never been good enough and we never will be good enough. If we could be, His death would be unnecessary. But God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believed in Him would not perish, but have what? A life. I don't have a clue where some of you are today. Not a clue. We got this call early this morning and of course time change had already happened and there wasn't a way in the world I was going back to sleep at two thirty today. Wasn't happening. This is my custom. I went ahead and got up and came into the office early. And dark outside. Debbie Kenny asked me, "said You see the new signs?" I said, "Good grief, no. It's dark." (laughs) I sat in my office and was reviewing my notes and trying to get ready for this today. The Lord has just impressed on me, and let me be vulnerable with you for a moment. is a horrible thing and maybe other preachers never struggle but at times I do more than I want to admit that maybe I can pull this thing off on a Sunday morning out of experience and out of a little bit of talent And while I'm trying to search through notes this morning and text kids in Baltimore, the Lord just keeps coming back and going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I realized this this morning that I have the ability to fill my life with a lot of pride and a lot of sufficiency. Two weeks ago, we had 300 in church. Last week we had 275. You know what I was thinking about this morning? Wait, what's the number going to be today? What's the number going to be today? Here's my question. Who cares what the number is today? What are you going to do with Jesus today? And not what are you going to do? What am I going to do? So at 6.30 this morning, I catch myself kneeling by the chair in my office and just asking the Lord. Remember the old hymn, Just As I Am? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Can I beg that we would do that today? Lord, I own nothing. But I need Everything. I need everything. So let's pray. Spirit of God, would you work in this place like only you can do? Would you break us and melt us and mold us and change us and transform us? Would you help us to lay down that which we think is our sufficiency and take on your grace? which is our only hope. And for whoever's in this room today that's never accepted you as their Savior, would today be the day that they would cry out to you as a sinner who needs grace. Father, I pray the Spirit of God within them will draw them to pray and ask you for mercy and unmerited favor. And by the promise of your Word and the testimony of who you are, You've promised you would save those today. Would you do it right now? And give them the courage, Father, to give testimony of the newness that's coming to their life. For some of us in this room today, we've just gotten really comfortable and really full. We've gotten really self-sufficient. We've become very prideful. And Father, I know today that when I'm saying we, I talk of me first. Father, would you do the work among us in this church that would unleash us? that would allow us to be set free of of complacency and comfortableness. And Lord, would you just have your way. Make us generous. Not so that we can perform, but Father, may we be generous because we have the knowledge of your goodness and of your grace and of your mercy. And may that change us forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.